0: You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's
1: most listened to spiritual talk back program.
0: This one might not ever be a single, just something on my heart I had to sing. I hope they play this on the radio, give me a chance to let somebody know that we can change the world, one boy, one girl.
2: Every once in a while, and I do mean every once in a while, there's a book that comes onto the Jesus scene that that gets people's attention. It kind of kind of stirs things up a little bit. And I have a feeling this is one of these books. This is hot off the press, folks. I was supposed to get mine shipped yesterday. Didn't quite make it. Uh, it's just coming out there and the blogosphere and the internet and all you know people are talking about this thing which is good for these guys cuz obviously it's going to sell them more books but i don't think that's the reason they wrote this book you ever wondered why we christians do what we do for church every sunday morning why do we dress up for church why does the pastor preach a sermon each week why do we have pews and steeples and choirs pews and steeples and choirs oh my it all sounds like real scary stuff that apparently comes from pagan rituals as opposed to the New Testament. i got to admit my ignorance on this. I need some more information. We're going to chat with one of the authors. It's Frank Viola and uh, George Barna on the show. Today is Frank Viola. Frank, thanks for your time.
0: Oh, Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on.
2: Okay, what is going on? You're freaking me out with this book.
0: Uh, Yes, uh, you're not the only one. Uh, I will tell you this, that when I first did a study on where our Protestant church practices came from, I was riveted, arrested, captivated, my mind was blown, and I was freaked out myself. Uh, It's something that we as Christian people never, ever think about. We go to church on Sunday morning, we sit through a two-hour ritual, typically we stare at the back of someone's head most of that time, We leave smiling and shaking the hands of those people that we see once a week. We go home and we say, wow, we've been to church.
2: Yeah, Don't forget about the breath mints.
0: Ah, yes. Yes, absolutely.
2: That's a key part.
0: Very important to fellowship. Yes, it is. But uh, this book raises questions that quite frankly, uh, many find to be terrifying because we are treading waters that bring us to issues that that are quite disturbing because essentially what we're saying in the book is that much of what we do for church is not rooted in the New Testament. It comes from other places, and uh, we trace that. But 1,200 footnotes later, we demonstrate where all of it came from.
2: My goodness. Oh, footnotes. What a <laughs> headache.
0: Oh, so tell me about it. We drew lots of blood putting this thing together, oh, but we figured that if we're going to make some of the statements that we make, uh, we have got to build a strong case. If you're going to
2: bring it like this. You better back it up, right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because most publishing houses will not put footnotes in a book. They push them all the way back and make them endnotes. And with this one, it was no problem to convince the publishers that this had to be done because people want to know where on earth are you getting this from?
2: Okay, uh, I, I think I get the general premise, but what I need to know from you, Frank, is—is is, like so what? So what if these things maybe we picked up from the from the I mean, we celebrate Christmas on a pagan basis. We hijack the pagan holiday, right? So whatever we've we, we've we've taken on things that came from some some other. Uh, uh, Worldview that doesn't jive with ours, but but you know what? It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> well, that's that's what some
0: people are saying. In fact, we even make that statement in the book, and so let me let me address your question by rewinding and saying what we're not saying, pointing that out. Okay. Number one, you look at a title, pagan Christianity, and some Christians are going to think as they fall out of their chair that we are calling them pagans. Uh, we are not calling anybody a pagan. What we are saying in that title is very simple, that much of what we have said comes out of the scripture, does in fact come from Greco-Roman paganism. Number two, we are not saying that if a, a church practice was invented by a non-Christian, we are not even saying if a church practice was invented by a pagan, a heathen, that that de facto makes it wrong or evil. One of the points we make in the book, Drew, is that the chair that we sit in
2: was invented by a pagan. Well, obviously pagans are into torture, because most of the chairs I sit in, church, are just <laughs> unbelievably uncomfortable. <laughs> well, you can thank the
0: Chinese for that one. Oh, okay. uh, but anyway, the, the calendar that we use. Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Saturday, and January, February, etc. were named after pagan gods. Now, I would never espouse, and I don't think anybody in their right mind would say, let's throw out the calendar because it was invented by a pagan. So that's not our argument. Here's our argument. A great deal of what we do for church today has no root in the New Testament. And that is despite the fact that preachers all my life, I was in the institutional church for 13 years, and I have been to about a dozen different denominations, non-denominations, Christian movements, five different parachurch organizations, and every one of them, the leadership would say, we do everything by the word of God.
2: Praise the
0: scripture. I hear it. You, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm, there. I'm getting down to where you live. This yeah. is scripture. And what we're saying is, we question that. And we're actually putting it a little bit stronger. We're saying it did not come, most of it, much of it, did not come from Jesus Christ, the apostles, or any New Testament author. Much of it did not even come from Judaism. So let's stop calling these practices biblical. Let's stop pretending that they are rooted in the word of God. And let's stop treating them as sacred and uh, sacrosanct, or whatever that word
2: is. Well, Frank, you you are a big part of this house church movement so maybe you maybe it's just part of your axe to grind, right? I mean, you left the or, the organized uh, you know fortress mm-hmm. and are now doing the house church. Then you're a big mm-hmm. guy with that. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is just furthering your agenda. That's a
0: that's a great response. Nevertheless, it's not true.
2: <laughs> okay, just uh, i I am, more, I
0: try. I am yeah. more of a critic. Believe it or not, I am. Well, no, I wouldn't say more. I'm just as much a critic of what is going on in much of the house church movement today as I am what's going on in the institutional church. Many house churches are no more than Bless Me Clubs or what I would call Glorified Bible Studies. And uh, Many of them, in fact, are simply institutional churches meeting in a home. It's just the smallest, beautiful version. Uh, I've got a friend who says that most house churches could be uh, characterized as, Honey, I Shrunk the Church. It's just the same thing going on in a house. So that's not where we're going with this. This is really a provocative book, raising questions instead of giving solutions. And to respond to your earlier thing, what we're really doing is we're saying, number one, these things did not come from Scripture. That makes it uh, even more a reason to question its validity and its productivity. And we go a step further and we point out in the book, and of course this is our opinion, we point out in the book, Drew, that we believe that many of these practices actually hinder and suppress the church of jesus christ from being and functioning the way god designed her to be wow. and we try to make that point in every chapter so it's not just a tearing down of the origination of a lot of these practices and saying it didn't come from the bible we're going a step further and saying look at the effect of these things look at how it hinders god's people from functioning and being free and uh, operating as the New Testament envisions. And then we leave the question at the very end of the book to the reader to decide, and we say, is what's going on today in way of church practices, is it a development or is it a departure from what God originally intended the church to be? And I will tell you this, Drew, millions of Christians are leaving the institutional church as we speak. 1 million Christians in America leave the institutional church per year. 5 to 20 million Christians in America have already left. The interesting thing about this is most of those people who have left have not abandoned the Christian faith.
2: Yeah, I, I, I the great thing about our show is we have somehow tapped into this massive underground Church this month. Well, then I'm
0: speaking to the right people.
2: Yeah, yeah, because they dig it. I mean, there is, and there is, like you said, what a million a year bail on the institutionalized church. That's just in America. It's 112 million
0: worldwide. Wow. Christians who do not attend traditional church, and as one expert said, a growing number of people are leaving the institutional church for a new reason. They're not leaving because they have lost their faith. They're leaving. The church
2: to preserve their faith. Exactly, exactly. Well said. That's been uh, that you resonate a lot with my journey. But but here's here's the thing, like uh, Frank. And by the way, folks, we're on the phone with Frank Viola. He is the co-author of Pagan Christianity. Uh, Going to be in the stores very very soon, if not already up here. We're a little slower up here in the north. You know, there's the snow to contend with and plowing That's the totally streets right. and all that stuff, deicing the planes. Um, I've got my own theories and understanding of, of why. Things like a sermon each week or pews or the choir or seminaries kind of mess up uh, people 's genuine authentic christ following but but let's let 's practicalize this. how, in your opinion, Frank, does a sermon each week mess with someone 's Christianity or christ following
0: okay. two things first of all. It gets down to the question of what is the church in the first place and what does the New Testament teach us about the church because that's where we all get our theories about church from anyway. Unfortunately, a lot of us impute into the New Testament and read back into it our present-day practices, which is a big mistake. Anyway, if you see the church of Jesus Christ as an organism rather than an institution and you recognize that it, in fact, is the very body of Jesus Christ in a particular locality, and that body, just like a human body, has many members that function together. Those members all have different gifts. They have different talents. They all have, uh, Christ dwelling in them. They all have a contribution. And, uh, when you have a situation like we do today, which, which came out of the Greco Roman culture, where you have one man every week, ad infinitum, preaching a 45 to 50 minute or however long it is sermon to the same group of people every single week and they call that church you're doing a couple things there that you may not have ever thought about one you are hindering the ever member functioning of the body of Christ now i i'm going to contrast this with meetings that i've been in which i would call organic church meetings where we would have a congregation and every single person drew in that room would stand up and share, and I'm not talking about 45-minute sermons. I'm talking about share out of a living, breathing experience of their walk with the Lord. And Some of those sharings can go two minutes, three minutes, ten minutes, five minutes, some twenty minutes. And now what's happening is I am hearing something about Jesus Christ from the different members of his body, and I am being edified not by one person, but by many.
2: But how do you stop the, the people who uh, go on a little long, always have something to say every week, and to be honest, it's got nothing to do with anything. They just like yeah. hearing the sound of their own voice.
0: You're talking about the overfunctioners. Uh, yeah. Those are the people who don't have an off button. <laughs> um, now this, <laughs> yes... Uh, Every sentence is ended with a comma.
2: Yeah, and, exactly. And someone's going to say, come on, not everyone's gifted in, in preaching or this and that. Right. You need to find whoever's got the, got the gift, and that person yes. should get into Absolutely. into that um, well, platform. Let, let's talk about that. That's an interesting
0: question. This is one of the reasons why we have the clergy system, Drew. It's a lot easier to put on a performance and have everyone spectate than to really let the body of Christ do what she does best and that is have everyone function. Now we're not again we're not talking about everybody in a room giving a sermon because that meeting would go on for a week without stop. What we're talking about is everyone in that group has been, and here's the missing note in a lot of this, has been trained and equipped to function. I'm borrowing that word from Paul. He talks about the functioning of the members of the body. Now How many times have you heard a sermon? How many times have your listeners heard a sermon from a preacher saying, I'm preaching these messages to equip you, to equip the body of Christ? And my question then is, well, why don't you do what Paul of Tarsus did Leave that congregation on its own without h- any human hierarchical structure <laughs> and see if those people can care for one another, love one another, have meetings where they share the Lord with each other and they are, nobody's dominating over the others. That to me is the acid test of whether or not you've equipped a group of people to do that. And that's what myself and some others who are involved in this work. We go around the country, we go to other countries, we plant these types of organic churches, and our main job is to equip the saints. And that means we're leaving, they're not going to see us for a long time, and we're not going to install a clergy, we're not going to erect hierarchical structures, we're going to leave them to the Holy Spirit. And uh, somewhere around the second century, Drew, those men who did this kind of thing, this kind of equipping work, where they would plant a church and then leave it to the headship of Christ, they died. They all were murdered horribly, except for john we 're told John the apostle and What happened is there there was an awful big gap, and many of the pagan philosophers were getting saved, becoming christians and because they were articulate and because they were leaders in their own world, they stepped into leadership in the church, and you had grow up a hierarchical structure. Hmm that borrowed much from the Roman basilica, civic services, and the philosophical mindset, and the sophists, and so forth, and you have modern-day Christianity. So we are raising lots of questions in this book, Drew. We're not giving solutions. I mean, the question you have is on the line of solutions. We don't get into that, but there will be another book coming out which will do that. Oh, nice segue. Yes, sir. Thank <laughs> uh, but seriously, people, this is one of the frustrations. They read the book, they say, my goodness, I, I, okay, I, you've made your point, I, I accept it, I see this. I'm now questioning things I never questioned before. I understand what is going on in the modern church and why we do what we do, but now where do we go next? Yeah, and the, then they
2: go into the church and abuse the pastor.
0: <laughs> well, You shouldn't we be doing several, this. That, we shouldn't be doing this. That is the reaction of some, I'm sure, but we have several places uh, written in red ink that says, Do not take this book and abuse your pastor with it. That's Ooh, not the that's not the. That's challenge. good. Writing in red
2: ink, taking a page out of the Bible. Then that's I like that. <laughs> I like that.
0: Ah, that was a little joke there. But no, we do caution people from causing division with the book. We want people to ask questions. And I'll tell you what, there are so many people who have written me, Drew, saying, you know, I am tired, I am bored of church, I've stopped going, and I feel so guilty. I feel that God is angry at me. And uh, we talk about this in the book because... Yes, Christians are made to fellowship with other Christians. We're made to be in a community of the body of Christ. But this thing that we call church, here's a big mistake we make, Drew. We call something church when in the mind of God and in the New Testament, we believe you cannot support that. There's two different things. And so we're setting lots of people at ease because they say, ah, this is justification historically and biblically why I feel the way I do. And, uh, instead of them saying, okay, well now I'm just gonna be, uh, an individual Christian with me and Jesus and I'm gonna live my life by myself, they instead say, I wanna get with other Christians in this organic way. How do I do it? And so, uh, we actually have a series of books coming out that's going to address these questions because there really is a revolution happening in our time. And it may just be greater than the Reformation. Say that again. I said it may just be greater than the Reformation. That's a, that's a big statement. Well, how big is it really? If you look at the Reformation historically, it really was not very large. And even right now, as we speak, what, 500 years later, the Catholic Church is larger than the Protestant Church. It, it didn't just overcome the world and uh, take over Christianity. I'm quoting experts here, sir. I, I have no idea. I'm, for all I know, uh, this book will go out of print six months from
2: now. Yeah, so I, I, doubt, I, it. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I got to figure out how Frank Viola, you know, the the, the home church guy and our house church, whatever you want to call it, and uh, uh, you know, you get into this pagan Christianity. How did you get hooked up with Barna? I mean, Barna is known for being Mr. Rah Rah Church. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, that's an interesting question. You know, somebody said to me, because George, apparently, it is said, and I, and I believe it now. Let me tell you, I was skeptical about it when I first heard it, but seeing how people are reacting to this book, uh, I believe it. He, he apparently is the most quoted Christian in our generation.
2: I thought that might have been Ned Flanders. <laughs> well, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who's Ned Flanders? <laughs> yeah, he would be the uh, the uh, Christian neighbor do-gooder of uh, Homer Simpson on The Simpsons. Okay, I can tell you that. Not, right, very you're not good. a big Simpsons fan. Okay.
0: I'm showing my ignorance, folks. I've never watched that show.
2: But I appreciate um, you owning the fact that you didn't know it, instead of laughing and just smiling and nodding and moving I don't on like you didn't know. Good for you.
0: Hey, I'm a Seinfeld fan. You know, <laughs> when they turn that off, I stopped watching television. <laughs> Okay. What, right. are <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about taking Christianity? Anyway. It, it wasn't uh, a
1: pick. There, there was really? no of what are these people even the church for? <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. Um Thanks, Jerry. someone said to me, Frank, having your name on a book with George Barna can make you famous. To which I replied, having George's name on a book with mine can get him crucified. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. what's happening right now. Anyway, uh, I have great respect for George, by the way. He's a man of conviction and courage, and uh, I tell you, he's uh, he's impressed me quite a bit. He had a paradigm shift, obviously, a number of years ago, and I'll, I'll leave it to you to have him tell his story, but in effect, he's been following the institutional church uh, for years and recognizing many of the major problems in it. And, uh, he's, he's kind of a prophetic type of guy. I mean, he'll do his research and then he'll make conclusions and then he'll make statements and he felt for many years that a lot of what he was saying was not being heard. He then realized that there was a whole body of Christians, God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christians, genuine, authentic Christians, not heretics, orthodox Christians outside the religious system, outside institutional church. And uh, I think that was the beginning of his shift. And he wrote a book entitled Revolution, mm. uh, which is really the prequel to pagan Christianity. And in it, he says the institutional church as we know it is a sinking ship. He forecasts that over the next 20 years, the decline in membership to institutional churches is going to shock all of us and it will mean the shutting down of many buildings and uh, the departure of many pastors from the pastorate. And, of course,
2: uh, there were one or two pastors who were very upset with him for writing that book. Um, Well, speaking of pastors... I have, oh, Well, I used to be one, actually, and I suggested one time. I'm so sorry. I know. I, well, that's uh, how I feel. Okay. I, 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 was, uh, I was an associate pastor at a church up in the Blue Mountains in Australia for five years, and I remember one time during a, a board meeting, and, and by the way, they do use that term accurately because they are just snoozers, those meetings. Uh, I suggested that we shut everything down for a month. Just shut her down and, and see what kind of organic thing happens amidst wow. our people. Wow, and uh, let me let me just tell you that uh, we didn't end up doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that didn't so. go over too well. That's a radical statement. That was I got I got one of those pat
2: me on the head. Oh, you're such an idealist, good boy. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, but anyway, we have a pastor in the house with us right now. He's been here the whole show, uh, and and this guy um, he's smarter than the average bear. He really is. Uh, Jeff Ponkey is uh, his name. Jeff, uh, this is your opportunity to ask Frank Viola, what's going on with this this pagan Christianity?
1: Well, I, I find it I find the whole conversation fascinating. I've been thinking about about this, and I, I wonder is one of the sort of I guess um, ideas of the book that organization, the whole concept of organizing ourselves, sort of a double edged sword, where where Jesus, you know, when he when he came on the scene, said, you know, you are going to have, yeah, you are going to have a, a new living organism. And it's going to be upside down. There's going to be no hierarchy. And that is totally contrary, not only to you know, pagan ideas, but just like logic in general, where we say we have to have some sort of mm. form of organization, or else we become just sort of this amorphous blob. And, and on one side, once you get the organization, then you get people mm. in power and all the problems that go with being in power. But if you don't have any organization, you can run the risk of just or being chaos. In, in chaos. Yeah. So yeah. Are, are you suggesting that there is a... Uh, Sort of a a balance or fine line between those two. Are you saying no? We ought to go for the for uh, for the chaos, and out of that will come a creative, non-boring, new church, which is more reflective of what Christ wanted.
2: Wow! Did you get that question, Frank? Uh, I'm still stewing on it.
0: Sorry for the long question. Say, by the way, I'm I'm actually delighted that you're doing this. I want the listeners to know I did not have any idea you're going to have a pastor on here to discuss with me, but I'm delighted you're doing that because I want you to know, and some people could read this book and say, hey, Viola and Barn are attacking the pastorate. We are questioning the modern office and role of the pastor. We uh, in no way are saying anything about pastors. In fact, some of my best friends are <laughs> pastors, and uh, I will tell you quite plainly, they're better men than I am, and I have great respect for them, and they're doing a good work, but we don't agree on the clergy. So anyway... Uh, did I hear you say that you agreed that Jesus did not support hierarchical?
1: Oh well, I think there's a lot of yeah, a lot of verses to support that. Oh, you that see? is
0: awesome. Yeah. You, you and I have just become friends. Well,
1: I have, to, I have to confess too something. I'm not a full-time pastor. I'm 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 a bivocational pastor. So I'm I have another job. He's a medical you're doctor. The guy's the a doctor and a and a and a, and a pastor.
0: Well, well, you know, right there, all the pastors who are listening to that in horror. That you said you agreed that Jesus did not support hierarchical leadership have just dismissed everything you say because you're not the real deal. But anyway, yeah. uh so well, well, at least you and I can still be friends. <laughs> right. No, um, I believe in organization. The question in the church, the question to me, is what is the source of the organization? Right. Uh, look at my physical body. Uh, well, no, thanks. <laughs> let, let's not do that. Change, it's hard change on the, radio. the phrase there. Uh, <laughs> think of your wife. And look at her uh, physical body in your mind. There is organization. Amen, brother. Beauty. Amen. Uh, Well, the church is a girl, my friends, and she's the most beautiful girl in the world if she can be who God has called her to be. And that means that she's set free from those things that hinder her from functioning. But anyway, um, does not Paul say that the body of Christ is like a physical body? He uses that illustration in First Corinthians twelve. Well there's a head. Yes, with a head. And by the way, you will never find anywhere in the New Testament the head of the church being referred to anybody except for Jesus
1: Christ. Okay. So so you're saying if we spend a lot of time sort of in prayer and in contemplation, a natural sort of organization will just happen? We'll know where to sit in the church, we'll know when to come, we'll no, know
0: not not at all. What, what I'm saying is, going back to the illustration, the two sources of organization, one is man putting it together himself, a la institutions, programs, hierarchy, or the organic expression of the church, wherein organically she produces her own organization. Now, here's the model. I will uh, develop this in another book, because again, you're getting into the solutions which the book does not address. I see Paul of Tarsus and other apostles running around. They're preaching the gospel to mostly heathens and some Jews. And those people suddenly become converted. But in that conversion, something happens to them that is shocking. Jesus Christ himself, by the Holy Spirit, indwells them. And now they have another life living inside them that is divine life. And what Paul does with them, and he will spend months, in most cases, three to five months with those ex-heathens and ex-Jews, and he will show them how to live by not a human life, but a divine life. He will show them how to, I'll use his own words, walk in the spirit and not after the flesh. He will show them how to live by an indwelling Lord, and as he does that, They will begin to draw on Christ himself. He will give them a little bit of instruction on how to know the Lord, on how to fellowship with the Lord individually and corporately, and that's a big thing we Protestants don't know a lot about, is corporately knowing our Lord together. And then he will leave them on their own. And as they embrace the head, Jesus Christ, together, there will organically emerge order, organization, and I want to tell you something, it doesn't look near as pretty is what you see on Sunday morning church. And
2: that's why... You that's a have... good thing, though. That is a good thing. <laughs> I, 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 no, seriously, I've been quoted on uh, uh, this line many, many times. The sign of a good church is how many ugly people are in it.
0: Uh, that's not bad at all, because i tell you what, when you have the organic expression of the church at work, and you do not have people controlled by a clergy or a liturgy, etc., what happens is our humanity gets exposed. Yeah, And we have problems up the hilt. And as one person said, everybody's normal until you get to know them. And in community, in an organic expression of the church, man, the problems are endless. The interesting thing, though, is that the problems that such churches have are identical to the problems that the New Testament authors address Hmm. in the first century that makes up our New Testament. Most of what our New Testament is, it's letters written by church planters to churches, organic churches, that are experiencing crisis. That's really what it is. So organic churches have problems, yes. Organization Mm -hmm. does occur, but it's fluid. It changes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Certainly they say, well, let's meet next week on Sunday morning Mm -hmm. at 11 o'clock, but they may change that on a fly and say for the next six months we're going to meet on Saturday night.
2: But is there potato salad, though?
0: Christ? Oh, man, you want to get if you want to gain weight, sir, Home church. just meet in an orga- an organic church, uh, <laughs> but it's all organic. they're eating all the time And, you know <laughs> that's very much in the spirit of the New Testament. Every time you look at Jesus Christ, he's eating with people. And uh, his followers really picked that up very well. I th- I th- think look at
2: them; they're eating. I think John Hagee picked up on it well as well.
1: <laughs> so, so, so back to back to the uh, the idea then. So then, this sounds like a pretty yes. a pretty shocking change for a lot of churches. Almost like you know ch- oh, wow. changing you know not just you know ten degrees but like hundred and eighty <laughs> degrees, which can yes, cause whiplash. True. So, and, are are you saying then is in your next book? Maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun, but is there going to be some sort of uh, sort of 10- or 12-step program to, to to phase out institutional churches with a hierarchy no, and no, sort absolutely. of gradually... That's too, that's too
2: structured for organic
0: stuff. Absolutely not. Listen are, what are you, a have, doctor? That's a good question. By the way, the title of the next uh, book is, Beware of the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt. Uh, um. <coughs> no, it's not. Oh. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I right. actually would like to use that title. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I am not, my goodness, I I have no interest in trying to change institutional Christianity and turn everything into organic churches. I don't believe that's going to happen. It's never happened historically. There have been Christians outside the organized church for many, many years. In fact, the book is dedicated to them. Unfortunately, most of them uh, were spit on, stomped on, buried and burned, and some of them boiled in olive oil. Uh, Thankfully, we live in a time where that's not going on.
2: Yeah, we have different ways of doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, um, what this book will do is it will begin with God. It will begin in the triune God, and it will show that in the triune God, you have the principles of what the church really is. And it will expand that and bring it down to the earth, and we will look at the first century church, and we're not seeing some kind of a inflexible structure that we're supposed to try to duplicate in our own power. We are seeing an outflow of what's going on in the triune God from eternity. And it's hitting the earth, and this is what God wants, we believe. And so the book really is for those people who either have left the institutional church and they don't have any fellowship, or they're really looking at, well, what are the alternatives here that I have? What is the church in the first place? And certainly for pastors who say, you know what? I think there's a different way. Let me take a look at what these guys have to say, and let's dialogue about it. And Let me make this point, too. We are writing these books to create conversation. We don't have the last word on this stuff. This is a journey. But we're raising questions that for too long have never been asked, and people have been afraid to ask them. And so we are in a time now where a Christian publisher like Tyndall House, which five years ago or ten years ago... Wouldn't touch this. Never, ever, ever, exactly. There's no way. I mean, we still are in shock that this book, I could be wrong on this, but to my mind, this is one of the most radical books that's ever been written in the evangelical world. Yeah. To raise questions about the clergy and the pastor system, I don't know of any other book that does that. No. Well,
2: I mean, it probably didn't hurt having uh, the Barna thing come along with it.
0: I don't think that hurt at all.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know what, Frank? We've got to fly. But I so much appreciate you guys doing doing this book. And, uh, folks, again, it's called Pagan Christianity. The website is paganchristianity.org. Or you can go to Frank's website, frankviola.com. Lots of good uh, material on those websites. And we look forward to uh, seeing how this progresses, Frank. It's going to be interesting how it develops. It really is.
0: Thank you so much. I, I really deeply appreciate it, and I've enjoyed talking to you. And Jeff, is it? Is it Jeff? Yeah, that's right, Frank. Jeff, please contact me. I would love to
2: talk more with you. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Frank. We'll take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, a real, real short break. Pagan Christianity. Uh, boy, it's an interesting book. Interesting interview we just had with Frank Biola, who uh, co-authored this book with George Barna. We'll be right back.
0: Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.